All right. What a great, what a great time we had. Hey, and before we get started, we believe here at All Peoples that the church of the living God should be the most joyous people on earth. And um, one of the greatest compliments we get is when people come and visit for the first time and they go, man, that didn't feel like church as usual. That felt like a party. And so one of the reasons that this weekend was monumental for us is that we published our first book called The Partying God, and I actually have five copies to give away this morning. And so I, I want to give that to the five people that are down here showing me a, a, an appropriate Jesus party dance. So it needs to be bold. Who's, I, I got one. Who else is willing to... Let, let, let's see it. Do, do your dance. Do your dance. Do your dance. Let's see what a Jesus party. Let's give these guys. Let's give these guys a hand. Here you go. You get number six in the bookstore. Hey, that. This is the release weekend. You can get those in the bookstore. Go get your free one right now. We'll give it to you. Right now, we're excited about the parting God, discovering the God of extravagant celebration. And here's the deal. You don't have to dance for it, but I want to encourage you. This is a book that is great for people who don't know Jesus, to learn his extravagant love for them. I just had a tremendous time this week, and I hope that you did as well. And let me just tell you, we actually found out that Clint Miller was joining us and said, hey, would you be willing to speak as well. So tonight we're going to have a special service. Anchored Youth Group is going to be joining us. I don't know if you know some anchored folks in here. They've been having an incredible time in the cafeteria at 630 while we have our, our third service in the evenings. They're going to come in, be a part of leading out, and then Clint Miller, who's down here from the Middle East, will be sharing. So if you haven't gotten enough, come back and join us tonight at 630. should be a great time. Hey, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. Yeah, I love the progression of this weekend. Dan Bauman came and just lit us afire with God's love for us and just talking about that intimacy that we so long for and just seeing the love in his eyes. I know it's so contagious for me. Then my pastor, Jimmy Seibert, kicked us off on Saturday morning talking about Sign Me Up, chronicling the movements that have happened across the earth that have inspired laborers to go to the nations. Then Jim Yost, who also surprised us with the ability to, to come and join us last minute, talked about taking risks and inspiring us to jump out and do something as we're signing up. Last night, Lou Engle came and got us all rocking back and forth praying this prayer, Lord of the harvest, ekbalo, laborers, thrust out laborers into the harvest field. So now it's my time to take my little log and throw it on the fire, and I want to start with this story. Midnight, our bus was lumbering down this dark and eerie street. I had never been in such a large city that was so dimly lit and felt like in, in some ways, a ghost town. It was like straight out of a spy movie as we were coming into a city that no American had heard of called Eskishahir, Turkey. We were going into a place that hadn't had a Christian church in 500 years. We knew no missionary. We had no missions base to connect with. 
obviously no church that we could partner with. We didn't have one contact in the city that we knew of. And in fact, our last meeting that happened in Istanbul, Turkey, happened with some older missionaries who said this. They said, you know, it takes seven years for a Muslim to come to Christ. And they just kind of heaped a wet blanket right on the fire of our youthful zeal. And I'm just trying to combat those thoughts that were starting to plague my mind of like, why are we even here for a month? And as we came to that old block communist building that night, the task of seeing something happen for Jesus in the city seemed absolutely daunting. We were just some young, unexperienced, kind of untrained 20-somethings, nine of us that were descending in this city for the next month. But what would happen over the next 30 days would be like another chapter in the book of Acts. A miracle, salvations breaking forth, persecution, arrests, and then fleeing the city. How did something so miraculous happen with nine very green, very novice missionary outreach short-termers. Well, I've got to take you back to an experience I had in college. So let me just paint the scene for you. We were in a hall about three times the size of this, a concert hall. It's the Waco Performing Building. And I'm standing behind the curtains pacing back and forth. This, to that point, was the pinnacle of my existence. It was called All University Sing. It was a big variety show for fraternities and sororities, and this was my time to make a mark on my campus. And so our, our fraternity came out doing these ah, moves, you know, doing all these dances, and I had the anchor solo, like I was the grand finale. And so the curtain opened up in the back, and I come out going like, oh, and my wavy long hair <laughs> was just bobbing in the air. <laughs> Those were good days. And, and I came forth, and I sang with all gusto. I sang my little heart out. And at the end, we were slated to actually win this thing. The crowd goes wild. And I was thinking, this is the pinnacle of my life. You see, there, there was nothing I wanted more in life than to make an impact, for my life to count for something, for, for people to say, Robert Herbert changed my life. And so when I went to bed that night, I was thinking, everything's changed. This is my moment. And the next day, I walked across campus just waiting for people to go, there he is. <laughs> yeah, I was just expecting the hallways to part in my college building. All I got was a few, hey, out of boys. You know, hey, good job. That was nice. And then the next day, nothing. <laughs> no one even remembered. It was like nothing had happened. And I just started sinking into this frustration because I was like, I just sang in front of 2,000 people. I even sang a Christian song. And yet nothing. And it wasn't longer after that, that I, I, I came home after class just kind of frustrated, and I walk up the stairs into my living room, and there kind of lumbering in this old recliner we had was this guy, and it was so funny because he's sitting in this recliner, and his pants are like this, you know, and, and, and he's going, <laughs> and I'm going, who are you? 
And his name was Mark Masterson. And he was there to meet my roommate, Fuller. And he introduced himself and he said, my vision is to see a revival among the fraternity and sorority system of Baylor University. You know, and with my little judgmental punk heart, I was like, hey, bro, if you're going to do that, you at least need to pull your pants down. But he said, well, and here's my strategy. My strategy is I'm going to disciple a couple of guys. And I thought, that's a silly strategy to see a revival. You know, when I was thinking of revival, I was seeing just throngs of people on their knees, crying their hearts out, snot all over the altar. You know, this is what I thought of as a revival. So seeing a guy kind of just sitting in a living room about to meet in a one-on-one appointment just didn't do it for me. But over the next couple weeks, Mark would faithfully show up and meet with my roommate Fuller. And he started teaching him how to study the Bible. He started holding him accountable. He started taking him out into our city and them learning to share the gospel. Then he actually raised up Robert as an intern in, in a life group. And, and I watched as my roommate's passion for Jesus started just going out the roof. And I actually got really jealous of him. And I thought, I, I want what Fuller has. I, I want this. And so I kind of built up my courage, and, and I was feeling sheepish, and I really didn't want to be rejected. But I went up to Mark Masterson, and I humbled myself, and I said, is there any way you can do with me what you're doing with Robert? Like, would you be willing to meet with me for discipleship? And he said, hmm, yeah, let me think about that. And I'm like, oh, he said, meet, meet me on campus next week, you know, so the whole week. I'm like, oh, please, please, please disciple me. We meet on campus. We sit down in the middle of the student union building of, of, our, of our big university, about 14,000 students at Baylor University at the time. And Mark starts with a question. He says, Robert, tell me who the, the student body president was two years ago on your campus. And I was like, oh. I don't know. He goes, well, can you at least tell me one thing they did to change the lives of the students at this university? And I'm like, I I honestly have no idea. He goes, well, that's really interesting because arguably that would be the most influential student that people would say has, has worldly influence on this campus. But you can't even tell me one thing they've done or even tell me their name. He said, you see, because Jesus did things so differently. Because Jesus didn't just try to come and wow people. He didn't, he didn't come and, and, and walk into the temple and go, watch this, guys, follow me, and go out into the, into the tombs and go, arise, and a hundred people rose from the dead. And then he said, watch this. You see Jupiter up there? <laughs> Explodes. Clearly, I am the son of God. Now, let's, let's go ahead and fill up the Jerusalem uh, arena, and then I'm going to tell you guys what to do. That's not what Jesus did. He walked around on the dirt next to the Sea of Galilee and called about 12 immature 20 or teen teenagers, 20-somethings that smelled like fish, <laughs> to come and live life with them, to be his disciples. But after three years, when they had spread out throughout the world, the Bible actually says that they were turning the world upside down. Turning the world upside down. And when Mark started telling me that, I just started thinking, that's what I want for my life. 
I want my life to turn the world upside down. And then he opened the scripture to Matthew 28, if you turn there with me, to verses 18 through 20. It says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Say, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you till the end of the age. So just freeze frame that thought with Mark and I sitting in the student union building, and let's project forward into your life. For a moment, I just want you to think about yourself on your deathbed. Hopefully 90-something years old, you're laying there, and you gather your family. You've just got a few sentences left of breath in your lungs. And so your kids have gathered around, your grandkids. If you're in your 90s, your great-grandkids, and you're about to depart and leave this world. What will your last words be to your family? Hey, guys, what was on Twitter today? Or, hey, did you, did you remember to take out the trash? I don't think it's that. Hey, guys, I just want to make sure you got the iPhone 6 Plus. <laughs> I, I, I don't think those are going to be your words. I think what you do is gather them together, and I think you'd say, I want you to know that I love you. And, and I think if you had another breath left, you'd start going over the values, the core values that you held closely and to say, remember this. This is what I want our family to be all about. The power of last words. You just had a few breaths left in your lungs. What would you say? These are going to be your last words on earth. Do you know that these were Jesus' last words to his disciples? Let, let me just take you even more into it. Go with me to the beginning of Matthew chapter 28. Let's paint the scene of what's happened. Jesus has been crucified on the cross. The disciples are grief-stricken. Their Lord, their best friend, has died. And now, this is what happens next. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. This is the tomb where the body of Jesus has been laid. There was a violent earthquake and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Hello. Going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and then sat on it. If I could roll a big stone, that's what I'd do too. I'd be like, boom, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we think of angels all sweet. I think some angels have attitudes like, boom, watch me now, you know? His appearance was like white lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook, they were like, and then became like dead men. I love it. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. By the way, men and women, when we look at the cross, we're making light of what Jesus did. We're making much of Jesus dying on the cross, but the cross is not the end. The empty tomb is the end for us. Then go 
He says, come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now have I told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings. (laughs) I love it. Greetings. He said, they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, go to Galilee. This is important because this is where these words take place. So then verse 16 says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Imagine this. You've just heard that Jesus has raised from the dead and that you're supposed to go and meet him over on the mountain in La Mesa. (laughs) And here's what I think would be going on in your mind. You're like, no way. Like, no, this couldn't have happened. Oh, my goodness, he just died. I saw him die. But he did say he was going to raise again. And so I've got to go over to La Mesa and walk up the mountain and, and, and meet him there. And I wonder... What, what would he say to me? Like he died, but he's back. What is he going to say? You're just thinking, what? what? If, if it's really real, what will he say to me? What will he say? What will he say? And then this is what he says. Last words on the earth to his disciples. Listen to this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God is bad. Therefore, therefore, for the Bible scholars say before, every time you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is it therefore? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, the only fitting response is what you could put in that place. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, all the earth now is, belongs to me. And the only fitting response for you, if you're my follower, is go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You know, we've been talking this week about sign me up. I want to be a part. We've been talking about getting to the nations. But I want to ask you, once you get there, what are you going to do? Like, what are you, I'm here, I just showed up, and then you're like, dang, whoa, what do I do? There are like 30 million people in this country. What am I supposed to do? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Say, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your calling. Go and make disciples disciples. Go and make disciples. So back to that student union building little booth. Mark starts challenging me. He says, Robert, I want to put a challenge to you. I want to encourage you, if you really want to make an impact, if you really want to transform people's lives, stop trying to just get on stage in front of tons of people. He says, instead, take a few guys and invest in their life and live life with them so that they actually see the values in you. He goes, I will invest in you. I will spend time weekly with you if you'll invest in others. 
if you'll actually take what I give you. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it, Robert, because I don't want you to become a pond. You don't want me to become a pond? Like, I'm a human. How do I become a pond? And he starts giving me this, this juxtaposition between ponds and streams. Okay, now I grew up with a pond. And you know the bummer about a pond on a hot summer day is it gets all this algae. Like a pond, water flows in, but then it doesn't have anywhere to go. So all of a sudden, algae and scum and stankiness just starts coming up from the pond. And, and you'd never want to swim in it because you actually, and sometimes I, I would be fishing and I'd get my lure stuck and I'd have to walk out there and there'd just be like a layer of nastiness around my leg. And I want to tell you that there are a lot of pond Christians in America. Because all we want to do is just receive and receive and receive and stuff flow into us, but then it doesn't flow out. So then just the, the algae, the spiritual algae, the spiritual scum, the spiritual stankiness just starts growing in our lives. And so when someone comes around us, the reason they don't like Christians is we have all this head knowledge and we give them all these right answers, but we're not doing anything about it. So then we're just like a bunch of Pharisees. And Mark was saying, I don't want you like a pond. You need to give what you receive. Give what you receive. Give what you receive. When I disciple you, then pour it into others, and then you become like a clear mountain stream. Clear mountain stream where it just flows from the source down and brings crystal clear, delicious, delightful, refreshing water. You want to be a stinky, algae-infested, scum-layered pond? Or do you want to be a mountain stream? If you want to be a stream, then go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And so Mark started meeting with me. He said, I'll start meeting with you just for an hour a week. It was nothing profound. He just opened up the Bible and showed me how to study the Bible. I didn't know how to study the Bible. Then he, he taught me to pray. I could never pray. I'd been told my, my whole life in church how to pray, but no one actually sat down and just showed me a simple bottle of prayer. I mean, this was simple. This was not rocket science, but actually someone who was a little older in the faith was teaching me, and all of a sudden, I started getting traction. My wheels stopped just spinning in the mud. It was like someone put snow chains on my tires, and I just slowly started moving forward. Fast forward to Eskishay here, Turkey. We, we didn't have this great missiological strategy when we landed in this country and, and in this city that hadn't had a church for 500 years. You wouldn't have picked us thinking, yeah, impressive group of nine students. Actually, most of the time, we were just kind of bumbling around talking about Saved by the Bell. Kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but... What we did, we just lived our normal lives. We went to coffee shops, we went to restaurants, we hung out and played guitar in the squares, we played soccer. As we met people, we just shared our lives with them, and because our passion was Jesus, we just talked about our regular 21-year-old lives with Jesus with other people. And I remember the day we walked into this restaurant off the corner of a square, a tiny little storefront, and we were greeted by this really kind waiter, and he enjoyed practicing his Turkish with us. His name was Erkan. 
on and we just thought maybe this guy's heart is open and so I just said, hey, do you want to hang out with me? And from that day on, we just practiced, he'd practice his English and I was just trying to learn a few Turkish phrases and would hang out and walk around and just enjoy our friendship until one day we were meeting together and he doubled over in pain from his stomach. He was having a very severe stomach problem and he was saying, hey, I need to go home. I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. And I said, hey, can I pray for you? You know, this Jesus that I've told you about some, he healed the sick. He lay hands on the sick and, 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 and they'd be healed. And, and maybe he'd do that for you. So I just put my hand on his stomach and instantly the pain went away. And he said, you're a magician. <laughs> no, I'm not a magician. This is Jesus that I was telling you about. Within minutes, he was praying and giving his life to Jesus. The first salvation that we had heard of in this city in hundreds of years. And from that day on, I just began to disciple that guy. And slowly, one person after another came to Christ until there were six people who had made commitments to Jesus. It was so amazing that, that we were just going, this is mind-boggling. And then my wife got arrested. And uh, we had to flee the city. And so uh, we'll talk about that some other day. But, um, but the cool thing was this. We, we sent four people back kind of undercover from our team. When we flew back to the United States, we sent four people to stay in that city because there were six new believers to disciple the, the beginnings of a new Turkish church in that city. It wasn't because we had these incredible doctorate degrees in missiology, and I'm not against that, but what I'm saying is this. We were just normal people with the belief that Jesus' words were true when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, let me just ask you this question. Are you, are you in Israel right now? Some of you are like, this is a trick question. Am I <laughs> Am I the new Israel? Am I, I, you're not in Israel. <laughs> and so this is a nation. So listen, li listen to me. Oh my goodness. Uh, it, this is a nation to make disciples in. Let me, let me just tell you, don't wait till you got, because this is what I know. We hear these world mandate messages and they're kind of mind boggling. And some of you are like, Oh my gosh, when Jim Yo spoke, that's the most amazing thing ever. Jim spent a couple days in my house, and we're talking back and forth, and about halfway through, I'm like, am I a Christian? <laughs> I, I started, you know, I was like, am I, am I, I'm a Christian, let me just assure you as your pastor, but, but <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if you could drop me off in a village if I could survive hunting wild boar and translating the Bible into a new language, Okay. And maybe last night you saw Lou Engle and you're like, that is amazing. But I don't know if I could be a vocational prayer intercessor in the Akbalo House of Prayer. I, I don't know if that's my calling. Or you saw Jimmy Cyber and you're like, you're the man. You're the man. But you're like, I could never lead a massive church and, and, and all these little church plants. But you can make disciples. Everyone can make disciples. Disciples. It doesn't matter what age you are. I've seen young, I've seen kids making disciples to people in their 90s making disciples. You can make disciples. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter if you're very poor or very rich. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter your gifting. 
You, I, I dare you to look in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and you show me the gift of discipleship. It's not there. That's not one of the spiritual gifts. You know why? Because it's for everyone. It's for every single person. So, so let me just finish with a little challenge for you. I, I just want to challenge some different generations in this room. Let me start with the under 30 crowd. If you're under 30, raise your hand for a minute. Okay. I, there's like three of you here. Awesome. Um, there. I, I love your generation. I can't say like our generation anymore. It's not my generation. I love your generation. I love the millennials. And here's what I love. It's because you're like, you're cause-oriented. You're, you're saying, I want to fight this issue. You're that generation that's like, we're going to fight se sex trafficking. We're going to fight abortion. You're just taking on issues. I know, I'm 38. When I was graduating from college, I had numerous Christian friends that their number one goal was to make a million dollars by the time they were 30. Numerous friends. I've never met a millennial that said that. I have not met one of you who's like, my goal is to make a million dollars and have a $200,000 car in my garage. I haven't met one of you. I love your passion. But here's my concern. <laughs> uh, let me just share it in an experience. I would take my kids very early in the morning to their school that was by the beach for years, about 7.30, and I'd drop them off, and then I'd go run and pray, and then I'd land in a coffee shop to prepare my messages. This would be Thursday mornings. So I'd, I'd land in a coffee shop, and about 10 a.m., the millennials would start coming in. <clears throat> and um, they'd come in, you know, kind of sleepy-eyed, and they all had their cause T-shirt on, you know, like, save this break this, end this. And I'm like, sweet, that's awesome. And, and they'd come and sit in their little packs and then all flip up their Macs and, and just start posting and tweeting and designing and then shut them after several hours and call it a day. I'm glad you're doing that, but you're not going to change the world sitting in a coffee shop on social media. The way the world has changed is one on one, life on life, walking together, sitting knee together, touching each other's shoulders, living life, advancing the kingdom together. It's always going to be organic relationships, one on one, one on a group, actually spending time with human beings. I tweet your heart out, please. I like it. Instagram post until your phone explodes. I'm for it. <laughs> but please don't think you're changing the world from just sitting in a coffee shop behind a digital device. It's always been about a person on a person, a person talking to a person, a person healing a person, a person grabbing a person and saying, let's live all of life together. Yeah. Okay, you're off the hook. Let me move to the older generation, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I love you. I, I really do. And, and, and what breaks my heart is the times where I hear different ones of you, because of our incessant focus on the younger generation in this nation that you're just saying, I feel like my time has kind of passed. And so I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. No, run to the battle. 
we desperately need you because the younger generation in so many ways is fatherless and motherless and one hour of your week invested in someone else could alter their destiny. We need you to step up as the fathers and mothers. You have so much life experience. You've already paid our stupid tax for us. So just get in our lives and share it with us. We need you. You will be the launching pad to the nations. And just think when you have your spiritual descendants in, in Morocco and Tanzania and Madagascar and Saudi Arabia and you're just praying for those people that you just invested in an hour a week. And then <clears throat> let me talk to my generation, the 30s and 40s. You know who your greatest disciples are? Your kids. Like moms, you have this precious privilege. I think some of the greatest disciple makers in the world are you moms when you can get your mind wrapped around us, not just changing diapers, even though that's showing the practical love of Jesus. Like I'm teaching my kids to pray. And I'm teaching my kids that when I see a homeless person on the road, I don't turn my eyes and freak out, but instead I say, kids, let's pray for that guy right now. And then you hand them some food. And then you're sharing the gospel. And some of the, the moms of, of preschoolers are the best disciplers in all people's church. They're, they're going to the playground and inviting another mom and their kids. And while their kids play, they're just going for it. Training, equipping, teaching. They're changing the world. From the inside out, they're like a Trojan horse in a neighborhood. No one just thinks this little mom right here is this dangerous Christian. And, and, and we're just looking at, at her little stroller, and we're like, that's so sweet. No, uh you're carrying a nuclear bomb of a baby that you're raising up to transform the world. And, and you dads don't just, you know, I, I love it when I see dads that aren't just, you know, hey, I got a good job, so I'm, I'm going and just checking out and having a good meal. No, use those meals to meet with another businessman and, and, and find the hungry ones and use the lunches and, and use the breakfast and use the workout times to be investing in someone younger in the faith and making disciples. Because I can just tell you this, I'm not going to reach the computer programmers. I'm not going to reach the artists. I'm not going to reach the construction workers. It's you. It's you. That's God's secret weapon of changing the world. It's discipleship in every nook and every cranny and every borough and every village and every sector of society, every type of school, every type uh, of venue, every type of job and marketplace. It's you going in undercover. <laughs> secret agent, disciple, maker. The, the question is, will you do it? Will you do it? This is what it means to follow Jesus. He, he's calling you to do it. And some of you in this room are like, hey, I, I'm in. I just don't know how to do it. Well, I'm glad you asked because we're about to start a series on discipleship. <laughs> so for the next weeks here, we're going we're gonna to practically give this to you. So if you have a heartbeat, you're going to be able to do this. It's not that tricky. We're going to be going through. We're going to be giving you practical equipping. If you're not with us, uh, you can find us on our app, or we're actually going to have a new app released on February 22nd called Make Disciples. You can write that down and download that on February 22nd where we unveil this for the congregation. But here's my question as you leave today. Are you willing to make disciples? Are you willing to invest 
maybe just an hour a week or an hour every other week, even that, to just meet with one person that's a, a little behind you in their spiritual journey, that you could change their life forever and bless the heart of Jesus because this is what he's called us to do. Close your eyes with me. If you'd say this today, and don't do this unless you mean it, but you say, Robert, I am willing to make disciples. I am willing to act on this. I am willing to sacrifice an hour every other week or an hour every week to invest in one person. I just want you right now to stand up. And we can just keep our eyes closed because I'm just going to pray for you. It's not who's in, who's out. But don't stand up unless you mean it. There's no shame. I, 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 am, I actually have my eyes closed right now, so I don't even know who's standing up. I, I, I would much rather you be honest than make an emotional response, but I am going to pray confidence. I am going to pray passion, and I am going to pray God's grace because none of us feel worthy to make disciples. We all fall so short. It's not about how great you are. It's about how great God is. So I'm just going to pray for you right now. Open your hands to the Lord. Father, the response right now is overwhelming. I pray even right now that you'd start putting people in our minds on who we're supposed to go and initiate with to make disciples. And Lord, I pray for a holy confidence in this group of people that they can fulfill the great commission. They can live world mandate, not someday when they move far away, but they can live it out starting today by making disciples of the nations. This is your secret weapon. Preschool mothers, retired grandparents, high school students, junior high school students, college students, men and women in the business industries of, 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 of our city and our cities of this nation, making disciples. We bless you to do that. In Jesus' name. And, and I just want to end the time just by totally changing gears because I had this thought we didn't do this through this weekend but there's some people in this room that I really want to pray for and I'm going to invite you forward and we want to support you and get behind you and cheer you on as the church and that's those this weekend who who are just saying you know world mandate I know we're all called to make disciples but I, I actually know that I'm called to go to another nation I might not even know the nation but I know that God's put that in my heart and I'm not saying those who are just saying, hey, I'm willing. It's those that are saying, like, I want to go. I want to do this. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to go to another nation. I want to invite you right now to come down front because we want to pray over you today. And we want to celebrate you. And as a church, we want to get behind you. So if that's you, you're saying, I am burning to be sent to another nation to take on a people and adopt them and to give my life. Look at this. This is unbelievable. Jim Yost, Clint Miller, come up, please. Y'all just hop up on stage real quick. I just, hop up, just hop up right here. I know, you hop up right here. Can I get a mic? Church, would you just extend your hands right now? Father, we're just praying for these ones right here that are making this huge statement. And Lord, we just come together as a church body and say, we bless you. Just say, we bless you. And let's just say, we support you. We support you. We believe in you. And I just want to, can, can I just have a mic for Jim? I just want Jim 
to pray. Okay, Jim, would you just pray over these precious people that are committing their lives to this awesome task of bringing the nations to Jesus? Father God, right now, this is your Caleb generation. They have a different spirit. They're following you wholeheartedly. They're marching to the beat of a different drummer. And Lord, right now, we release them into your care. Keep them right there in the center of your will where you've called them right now. They've taken that step out. They're on this wild journey, this amazing race, and they're not going to look back. Keep them right there. Don't allow them one step out of the center of your will. May it be a wild ride. And when it becomes tumultuous, when it becomes like a storm, let them have peace that passes all understanding because they're right where you want them to be. Take them every day, one step at a time. Take them to the nations and let them never look back. Never look back. Not one regret. All for the nations from this San Diego affecting the entire world. Let it happen and let it happen today. In the name of Jesus, we send them out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now let's give them a hand. Let's shout. God's going to change the nation from right here. And I, I just want you to do this, church body. I, this is going to be real chaotic. But you know some of these people. I want you to just come up, put your hand on their shoulder. I want you to give them a high five. This should be the happiest time of our weekend. Just give them a big five five. Give them a big hug. Pray over them. And Stephen's going to sing one last song to end our time here.